Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Adaro Robinson, and I proudly serve as the executive director with City of Columbus. And I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Red Jacket Roundtable. So this uh, episode and podcast is a series of conversations with nonprofit leaders in Columbus to discuss important topics related to youth development and advocacy in our community. And so our guest for today is Aaron Upchurch, who is the executive director for the Kaleidoscope Youth Center here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, since 1994, Kaleidoscope has become the largest and longest standing organization in Ohio, solely dedicated to serving and supporting queer youth. Kaleidoscope works to provide a safe place, programming and leadership opportunities so that youth can be free to explore who they are and empowered to become their confident and truest self. The mission of Kaleidoscope Youth Center is to work in partnership with young people in Central Ohio to create safe and empowering environments for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning and ally youth through advocacy, education support, and community engagement. Uh, the vision of Kaleidoscope Youth Center is for youth across the spectrum of sexual orientation and gender identity to live healthy, whole lives with acceptance and freedom from oppression. So Aaron, welcome today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I always love hearing folks say our vision and mission. It just it feels good. It's, a, it's an amazing um, vision and mission. So if we can start off talking about a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, how you got into this work. Sure. What's interesting this morning, I was remembering um, in high school, my senior year, um, I graduated in 95, and there was a representative from City Year that came. And I wanted so bad to do City Year. Like, I begged my parents. They were like, no, go to college. You know, <laughs> tough, tough life, right? And, and I, so I did. I went to college and, and all of that. But I was like, this is so cool that like, we're having this conversation because I was like, I wanted to do it so bad. So um, I'm really happy to be here. I love when life kind of is this full circle moment. Um, my background is I actually I grew up in Hilliard, Ohio. Um, okay. I went to Davidson High School, and this is important just because I, I never thought I would be here in, in this space. Um, but I was there and it was just the one high school. I went to college at Eastern Michigan University, um, got my degree in social work, uh, did social work practice for a few years, like uh, foster care and things of that nature. And I started working in HIV and AIDS, and I got really um, excited to see communities come together to make change. There was something like I knew it could happen in, you know, from my social work courses and, you know, just growing up, but there was something about working with communities that are traditionally marginalized and like have to fight for their dignity. And I, I went back to school, got my master's degree in social work, and I, I did some things in um, statewide politics and organizing for about three years. Um, even ran for school board one year. Um, worked in community mental health um, for about seven and a half years as an assistant clinical director. Um, and, and then I found myself here at Kaleidoscope and it, it wasn't my intended path. I actually have been in private practice as a therapist. Um, I, my partner and I own a business. I teach at OSU. So I was really looking to be more of a um, self, decidedly self-employed person. But when this position, this opportunity became available, it was the perfect mix of working with young people because I feel like that's the only way we're going to actually make true change mm -hmm. in our, our society and community. Mm -hmm. um, working amongst systems, putting things together, finding like who or what's not there. Um, that's my creative work. And then being able to 
support and pour into folks around coaching and, and leadership. And so it just became the really perfect uh, storm, if you will, of, of, of something that I love to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here I am. That sounds great. Thanks for sharing that. You know, it's just, I love hearing people talk about their passion in life. And, you know, we work with young people and we always try to share our trajectory of, you know, why we started this work and how we uh-huh. are, how we were able to get to where we are now. I think young people really want to be able to see folks, folks of color in particular, yeah. about um, and learn more about how are we made our path uh, to whatever our passion is. So I appreciate you sharing that. And so now in this role with Kaleidoscope, you said you you do work with young people and coaching leadership and with your social work background. So you have a lot of experience being able to work with young people. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are some of the uh, uh, programs that you provide for young people, activities? Uh, Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the clients that you work with or the young people, where they're coming from, uh, how they're getting involved. Sure. So at Kaleidoscope, we, we've actually grown fairly rapidly um, in the last five years. We're in our 28th year. Um, and, and in the last five years, we have our drop-in center, which is um, open to ages 12 to 18. Make sure I got that right. 12 to 20, um, Tuesday through Friday. And it's, just, it's a drop-in center. It's open. You can come in. They can come out. We offer free meals. Um, uh, snacks, they can access basic needs and resources. And then out of that, we've got some like, we have a summer institute right now, um, funded by the Adam Board. And, and so like different opportunities for our young folks to, to just build community. And there's something about being around people who look like you. Um, I, I call it that space of knowing, right? Like they can walk in and even if it's for like three hours, their armor can come down just a little bit yeah. to be like, these people get me um, without even knowing anything about them. Um, we have our education outreach department. We are the statewide hub for the Ohio GSA network. Um, so a lot of folks, that was the Gay Straight Alliance when we were in high school. Um, and now it's the Gender and Sexualities Alliance. It's part of a national network. So we're the hub here in Ohio. And then we do education and training um, actually throughout the United States for anyone who's serving young people, providers, community members, families. Um, we have our civic engagement advocacy work that we do with our, our youth. Um, we have a voter guide we put out every year. We're doing some issue-based advocacy and testifying. There's a lot of horrible bills in the state house now. So we're really working with our young folks to get their testimonies in and to Mm -hmm. collaborate. And then probably our largest growing department is in where we have the most direct services of our community-based wellness. And there we've got three housing programs. Those are for ages 18 to 24. We have case management, which is for ages 16 to 24. And then we have behavior health. I'm actually in the process of hiring our second therapist. Um, and, you know, all of this, it's, it's this great um, circle of making sure basic needs are met because we want our folks to thrive. Like survival is not enough. We, we want more, but also to find ways to amplify their voices. And so we also have a community advisory board, um, which we're expanding across the state for next year to really make sure we have that input from our youth. So we can be like youth-led and say youth-led, youth-informed, and youth-inspired. That's that's interesting. I wanted to touch on one thing you mentioned, and I mm-hmm. think I saw it, and it, I was kind of doing some research on learning more about your organization and your background, and that you you mentioned there are some horrible bills yeah. um, in, in the uh, uh, right now. You talked about advocacy. I wanted to touch on that a little bit, and maybe you can explain a little more about what those bills are, mm-hmm. how they're impacting you know your work. Sure. 
Yeah, you know, currently there's there's a lot happening in the state house that's unfavorable, but um, the three major ones are um, it's House Bill 616, which some people are saying it's Florida's don't say gay bill uh, mm-hmm. or Ohio's version of Florida's. And, and we don't like to say that because that's not what it's about. Um, it's It wants to ban uh, teaching or talking about sexual orientation, gender identity, but also intersectionality, critical race theory. Um, really, they just don't want you to be taught the truth about anything. And the reason why we try to steer away from the don't say gay, because it's so intersectional. It's, it's not just looking at, you know, one community. It's wanting to take out anybody who's different and there are histories and our stories. And, you know, we like this, everybody has a sexual orientation. Everybody has a sexual uh, gender identity. Every single person that's alive does. Um, and I think some of the ways that those folks try to scare people is putting it in silos and making it an us versus them. So that's 616, there's House Bill 454, which is a gender affirming care ban. And essentially they want to make it a felony for anyone, whether it's doctors, nurses, uh, but also social workers, counselors, therapists, teachers to do any type of gender affirmation care for our young folks. So what that can look like, um, it's not just about medication and, and you know the, the bigger picture issues around surgery. It can be as simple as like affirming pronouns. Um, you know, with our young folks, you know, when we introduce ourselves, I would say like, my name's Erin, my pronouns are she, her, what are your pronouns? Like that's our common language. And so that's a form of gender affirming care and mm-hmm. they want to ban that. Um, and then lastly, there's hospital, um, it's 61 and they tagged this on at the end of their session this year, but they want to prevent transgender girls from playing sports with cis girls or in their affirmed identity. And it, that's to me feels like the most egregious because they talk about possibly doing like genital checks and, and those kind of things that are just like not okay, regardless of where it's coming from. And so, you know, we, we approach this a couple of ways. One is we, we don't want them to pass. We want the communities to know like these are harmful. Don't get tricked into thinking it's just about those gay kids because it's not, it's about all of us. But also our young people hear that they hear these conversations they see these bills and they see folks adults questioning their humanity and their dignity in a very public way and you know as black folks this is something that our community has had continued to deal with depending on what the topic is and so having a, a nation or leaders question your humanity and dignity and your right to thriving in a public way and then like like it's debatable it's not debatable that's a non-negotiable thing and so those are, I'll, I'll just keep going about this. So like, that's what we, you know, when we want to amplify our youth voices and their stories. And for us as the grownups, it's, it's our job to stop those bills from progressing and then also educating folks as much as possible. How do you have those conversations with, with young people? I mean, how does, do you, do they bring it up or are they kind of saying, this is what I've heard and how do you help them extrapolate what's going on? You know, it really depends. I know our youth in our drop-in center, they view KYC as like a safe haven or sanctuary. So they actually don't really want to talk about it while they're there. They just want the the grown-ups to fix it. Like, can y'all just take care of that? Mm -hmm. Um, But there are some, we've got about 50 uh, written testimonies uh, this year from young people to say like, please stop it. This is harmful. This is hurtful. Mm -hmm. Um, And one-to-one conversations are youth really they want to talk about it you know and they want people to know because one of the bills says that anyone teacher social worker counselor any 
professional work with the youth, if a young person is questioning or maybe seems like they might be exploring their gender identity or sexual orientation, that their parents should be notified. And 100% of our youth are saying, first of all, no, it's not an emergency. An mm. emergency is if I break my arm or if I'm otherwise hurt. But this mm. isn't an emergency and it's putting us in unsafe spaces. And so what they're, they're noticing collectively is this, um, I think, removal of their autonomy as human beings, um, back to that questioning their humanity and dignity. Mm. Um, and then it's scary. It's scary how they're going to move through the world. Are people, can they have access to care that they're, that's evidence-based best practice care. But then it also, when we have these conversations and people are saying them, it almost gives license for folks who want to be discriminatory or say um, mean and hurtful things. It almost gives them license to do that. And so it just increases or ups the ante of what it means to be an adolescent in general. And then you add all these other issues on that really challenges their sense of belonging. That's a that's interesting how you said the students are like, look, adults just take care of it, we're, you know, take care of it. I'm, I'm curious when you do have young people come and they're interacting with you and your staff and other folks that are uh, working with your organization, what other, you know, concerns or challenges that they may share? Do they, you know, I, I, you may not want to get deep into any um, examples, but what, what kind of things are young people sharing about what they're, for those who may be in, in a certain place and exploring uh, their identity? Sure. Um, you know, prior to COVID, we were seeing about 500 unique youth in our drop-in center per year. It's about 5,000 engagements total. Mm -hmm. And um, of those youth demographically, about 47% per, were identifying as transgender or non-binary, and about 46% were, were Black um, mm -hmm. or otherwise, uh, you know, communities of color. Um, and so for them coming there, it was, to, it was really about that space of belonging and navigating school, being misgendered, teachers refusing to use affirmed names and pronouns for mm -hmm. fear that they would get in trouble when it actually is not illegal to do so. Um, family rejection, especially amongst our, our youth of color. Um, that's probably the biggest challenge that they'll say like being queer and black or being trans and, you know, Latina or whatever it is, is like, it feels hopeless because there's lack of acceptance and affirmation in their, their families. Um, so it, it really is around that, that belonging and having a safe place to be. I mean, we've seen young folks come in um, dressed one way, change clothes into uh, that affirms their gender identity, and then change again before they go back home for safety. Wow. wow. Um, and then, you know, within our schools, when we work with our youth a lot, it is back to like having those teachers or administrators affirm who they are. Um, and then when we look at like our housing, I would say housing is I mean, they're all related, but, you know, LGBTQ youth are 120% more likely to be homeless than their peers, really? and about 40% of the homeless population. And so I like to give the, the number here, I think it was in 2019 in central Ohio, over 3,000 youth were um, identified as being homeless, 14 to 24. And so anecdotally, if we look at those numbers, that's almost 1,500 young people that were part of the LGBTQ community that were homeless. Wow. And the number one reason for homelessness for our young people is family rejection and not being safe at home. Mm -hmm. um, and then those numbers always go up for black folks, for transgender non-binary youth, 
Um, and, and so like, it's, it's this whole idea of like basic needs is really what our young folks are struggling with. Um, and our counseling program, um, 50% of youth in there on our counseling are black youth and our housing program, 60% are black. And then we have an emergency housing program. So those are young people who would go to the shelters if they had nowhere else to go. A hundred percent of them are black youth. And so, and I, I bring these numbers up because there's so much conversation and response to youth of color and black youth and mental health, which we must be doing, mm. but our LGBTQ youth get left out and excluded time and time again. And it's, it's very harmful. I understand why it is from a community and faith and historical perspective. Mm. Um, but, you know, it comes down to this, this basic needs of safety, psychological safety, housing, and having experiences of belonging. And then when our young people have that, we can look at their academics, right? Like, are they, you know, turning in their homework and all those other things. And then just the traditional challenges that folks have in their own communities. You mentioned your housing program. So how does that program work when a young person needs emergency housing or they just need a temporary place to stay based off their, you know, rejection of family or, or what have you? How does that work? Sure. So we have our emergency housing and we have a partnership with an extended stay actually. Um, and we'll use other hotels if needed. And basically we um, are able to have our young folks in there for two weeks at a time. We don't kick them out at two weeks, but we just reassess every two weeks. So they can at least like know the next day they don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and during that time, we, you know, work with them to get stable and hopefully find their next stop of more permanent housing. Um, we've been fairly successful through our partnerships like Huckleberry House and Star House. Um, yeah being able to utilize some of their transitional living programs. Um, we also have a rapid rehousing program, which, um, you know, our young folks move in, we get them to house as quickly as possible, and then we provide rental support. And rapid rehousing, depending on where it's being provided, sometimes folks have to be exited in 90 days, six months, maybe 12 to 20, maybe 12 to 24, depending on the youth programming. And what we're really negotiating now is we want our youth to be ready to be independent. Um, and so what does it mean to be ready? Um, and so we've got a couple of young folks who are in their third year in a rapid rehousing um, payment. And that we pay for everything. And then we work with them to like get employment, get back into school, get their primary care needs, like all those things that you need to have, have uh, to be healthy. Um, and now we're just kind of figuring out what does it mean to be ready so they don't fall back into homelessness. And then our, our last one is our supportive co-housing. And that's a shared group living experience. It's not a group home, but it's more like you have roommates, you know, mm -hmm. like one or two roommates. And I, I look at it, I have two, I have two college age um, kids at home. And it's very similar to what happens in that 18 to 24 year age is like, you got to learn to live with other people. Right. Uh, and so right. those, you know, if, if some people are, you know, in need of, of shelter, uh, we've got information and I can provide those links for you before we're done today to, to access that, um, but then also working within our housing programs, that's something that, you know, we do have a bit of a wait list that we're trying to, we just opened up another supportive housing site this month. Mm -hmm. uh, we have two duplexes and then we have youth on each side. So um, it's it's been a journey. Housing is a whole other beast, um, yeah. but it feels good to know that we're able to do that in a way without barriers. Like with the funding we have, we don't utilize any HUD funding currently. So we can be oh. so we can be low barrier and and not have the constraints and the definitions of homelessness typically are very restrictive and for
for LGBTQ young people, they don't always meet that criteria. They do a lot of couch surfing or engaging in, they're not uh, traditionally homeless, like living on the streets. But we don't want them to be. We want to do the work of prevention, right? We don't want to mm-hmm. wait until they're in a dangerous situation. We want to get them in a place to be stable before bad things start to happen. Well, that sounds like an awesome program. I'm, one other thing you mentioned kind of piqued my interest or my, my ears popped up when you talked about LGBT youth of color specifically. Yes. I wanted to maybe to go there. And you mentioned that based off of like tra- quote unquote traditional values within the Black community specifically, mm-hmm. that there's this friction. For, for those young people, their families, et cetera. I'm, I'm curious about, you know, any of the young people that you've encountered and that would fit that uh, description, kind of, I wonder if we could dive deeper into what that means or how they're experiencing that or how they're coming to you. Is it um, something that they, they, they uh, identify with their family, say this is how I identify and then it's like there's this friction it's like oh now I have to find a place to stay or I'm, I'm getting ostracized oh, I'm not sure really sure yeah. how does a young person I can't imagine being a teenager dealing with everything a teenager has to go through or right. young, just right. in general and then like you said having that on top of that and then being a, a young person of color where how does that, that that dynamic how do your counselors that just seems very very traumatic right and I I was reading something where you talked about you, your your group, your organization really works, and I'm, I think, quote, you really work to disrupt what causes trauma and harm, mm-hmm. excuse me, harm and trauma. So I'm curious, how does that manifest itself in your day-to-day activity, these young people? Who, that's a, a big thing that they have to go through. How, how do you do that? That's just, I'm fascinated by how you phrase that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a great question. Um... I know it's a lot there, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I'm thinking a little bit like my, even my own personal experience, you know, and like in my family, raised in church, um, uh, one of my parents is an elder in the church, like all of those things. And I have not experienced rejection, but there's a tolerance maybe, but not necessarily Mm. a full out affirmation um, Mm. with one of my parents in particular. And, um, and, th- and that's not uncommon with our young folks of color. And so maybe they're tolerated in their home. That's actually sometimes they're like happy just with that. Um, but often what happens is their parents will tell them, you can't be in my house doing that kind of thing. Don't bring that mess into my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start to hide who they are, who they're dating. Um, and, and hiding who you are takes a toll on somebody Absolutely. over yeah. time. Um, for our transgender non-binary youth, especially, you know, it's it's the criticism, um, the lack of affirmation and, and, and validation. I mean, I think anything when you think about like what harms like our souls, like that, that thing that makes you like takes your light out inside, that's what a lot of our youth of color are experiencing. Not all, we have quite a few young folks who come and their parents are very supportive, their families are. And so mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a generalization, but those numbers are very high. Um, when, when we talk about disrupting that which causes harm and, and trauma, I, I think there's a few ways to do that. I mean, one is just providing that space of you get to come in and you get to say who you are. And so mm-hmm. even every day, you know, we do like our community building part of programming, the youth get to say who, their names and, and their identity, their um, pronouns. And a few years ago, there was this one young person who was like playing around with different names for about two weeks, they had a different name. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, and as an adult, it's easy to just kind of like, like, oh my God, pick a name. But like <laughs> every day, it was this really beautiful process of watching them to see like what felt yeah. good and yeah. to just say like, hey, who are we today? You know, or tell me your name today. And I, I think creating that space and that expansion for young folks to exist begins to disrupt what the world tells us. Like you don't get to exist or you have to shrink yourself or it, you'd be great if you would do this. And, and worse, like you are great and beautiful just as you are. Your life, um, we hold your life. We hold your dignity just as you are. And so offering that opportunity to like, from a place of a nervous system, I like to look at like, you know, the fight or flight and how our bodies get into that. But when I said, you know, take their armor down, hopefully when they're part of our programming, they get to experience rest in a way that they don't in the world and their families. And so we know just from a biological perspective, you know, less cortisol, you know, better health outcomes. And so that's one way. Mm-hmm. But also, we really, really work hard um, to disrupt the systems and transform the systems that created harm. And so, you know, one example is like how we, with our funding, like I mentioned with our housing, and we utilize the least restrictive funding so that we can be in a space that's equitable and sustainable and not have to make our young folks jump through all the hoops that happen in nonprofits, right? Um, and it's for good reason. We understand there's data, there's all of these, and we've got to, as a collective, be willing to fund and resource organizations and trust them to do the work and not burden them. Yeah. Um, we are staunchly anti-adultist. And so what that means, and it's, it's funny, yesterday I just realized I did an adultist thing or Wednesday talking to a young person, but you know, being um, adultist is essentially shrinking the life and voice experience of a young person. And mm-hmm. so an example is if a young person says like, you know, their heart gets broken from a relationship, they're 15. And we might say, oh, oh, girl, please, you're 15. You don't even know what heartbreak is. Right? <laughs> and and who, I, who hasn't said it? Self-included. Uh-huh. I'm a parent. I've got an 18 and 20 year old. Like I, yes. And, but no. it's really flipping the, like, backing up and giving them room um we give them the dignity of risk like you they might do something that we don't think is a great idea this is especially in our housing program but we allow them the opportunities to do those things um that aren't you know horribly harmful but then provide a safe landing mm-hmm. and that you know when i look at our young folks in our housing program in particular but even in our drop-in center a lot of them, what they don't have is that safe landing from their families of origin. And so we want to provide that to show them something else is actually possible. And we are going to provide that and offer that to you. And we're going to be here, even if you mess up, even if you make a mistake, mm-hmm. we're still going to be here and be that soft landing. And we're going to coach you and we're going to guide you and support you in that. And I think that, you know, when I look at disrupting things like that's a world we get to create a world that we know is possible both within our organization amongst our team but mm-hmm. also in the community like something we know something else is possible but if people don't get to experience it or see it how can they champion it and then do the work for that to happen in other places right absolutely absolutely that's amazing the way you think about that and the way you express it so i can hear the passion yeah <laughs> people that's what i that's what i'm really uh yeah. excited about listening to you talk I, I was curious. So when I was growing up, the different terms like transgender, binary, non-binary, um, uh, some, some of the others, I, I can't think of all of uh, uh, the other ones, but yeah. there, there's, 
how for someone growing up that those weren't necessarily a thing, right? You didn't have all those different terms um, or how folks want to uh, identify for anyone who is still maybe like, well, I'm not really sure what these uh, terms mean or how they uh, correlate to a person's identity. Sure. For the, for the person who's not sure or and would need more information or to um, learn more about these things, where could they go to be, be more educated and so that they can be an advocate or an ally or be in that space where they're, they're not inflicting harm or trauma to anyone? Sure. I, I love this question. And I think, you know, first, when people don't understand something, their impulse is to be like, well, that must be bad or to dismiss it. And I think, you know, what I want to say to folks is it's okay to not understand what things mean. It's okay. It doesn't mean it's bad. You just don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, but in getting that information, I mean, our, we have a really dynamic education department. Um, there's even a online training that folks can take at self-paced and it's called demystifying the LGBTQI plus acronym. Um, oh. And that's, yeah, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual. And it really digs into like, what does that mean? What is gender identity? And it also invites folks to kind of think about the ways they were raised to think about gender identity in their own um, journey, if you will. Because we all, like I said before, we all have a sexual orientation. We all have a gender identity. Um, so that would be a really great place to start um, is, is utilizing that. Um, and we also are happy to come into places. I know we've worked with City Year doing training yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, our young folks are really good at, at, if you listen and are curious, they'll tell us what those things mean to them. And so it's this fine line of like curiosity and like, oh, what does identity mean to you versus making them teach you everything, right? Like it's just, it's a balance in doing that. But I, I, I think being curious, because the, here's the thing, as identity is across, you know, some people say Black, some people say African-American. They mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the word queer, right? And so back to that being curious and having those personal relationships to get an understanding of what does that mean to someone. So like I use queer to describe myself. It's not just about who I have relationships with, but it's also my politics. It's the way that I navigate the world. It's the way I look at the world. Like it's different. It's outside the status quo. And it's me and, and my wholeness. And so that's what that means to me. And for a young person, it could be something completely different. And mm -hmm. it's that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love being black. I rarely say African-American um, because like I'm black and like that means something to me. Right. And other folks don't even care. And it's, it's very similar uh, when we look at identity. And so the curiosity piece and having those relationships is a really great way to get more information. And like I said, um, call us in. We're happy to, to work with you all for training and education. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that, you know, every year your folks come in and they do a training mm -hmm. uh, or maybe a series of trainings. I can't remember, remember with our core members uh, on a lot of these uh, topics and uh, helping them understand because you know, they're working directly with students every day. So that's always a good uh, I get a chance to sit on. That's where I learned a lot of some of these things. I'll be honest, a couple of years ago when we started using um, when I first came here, we weren't really using pronouns. That yeah. wasn't I didn't really we didn't really do that. And then that started to become part of uh, how we introduce ourselves. And then I started learning more, sitting in on the trainings and uh, kind of like, oh, I, I had no idea that that was um, how this, you know, what yeah. these terms mean. And so I got a much better understanding and a, a fuller education 
about the work that you're doing. So we really appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, something I want to add about, I was in a training myself about a week ago and I had never utilized this language. Um, and it wasn't a like LGBT centered training at all. It was professional development for myself. And somebody was like, why do we put our pronouns? And the instructor said, so that we can see you in your full humanity. Mm. This is mm-hmm. so beautiful. Like we do all this technical, like, because you can't, tell someone's gender identity and, and, you know, all of those things. But I thought that's why, yes, that's absolutely why all of this matters to relate to people, to work with youth, you know, to be in those schools and we're seeing them in their full humanity. That's yeah. what all of us want and deserve. And you, I, like, I love how you said seeing others in the humanity. One of our values is uh, the word Ubuntu. I'm, you may be familiar with the word Ubuntu. Yeah. My humanity is tied to yours. Yeah. Like I have a couple of t-shirts to say that. So I think that's, and that's basic, right? That's yeah. that crosses across that crosses uh, all different types of yeah. things that we're doing and how we treat each other um, for, at all different levels. So I we're like vibing on that right. Yeah, there. yeah, I got <laughs> chills when you said that. Yeah, yeah, that's sure. my favorite uh, city year, you know, um, value that you know we take from that uh, that South African proverb. So yeah, that's that's a good connection there. The so could you share a little bit, just really quickly, you mentioned that individuals can go to your website and learn more about trainings and opportunities and connect with you. What Could you share with your website? We'll share it at the end of the um, sure. podcast and when we post it, but could you share how they can get in contact? Yeah, um, our website is kycohio.org. And um, there's a drop-down menu and, and specifically, so it talks about our center-based programming Mm-hmm. And on that first page, there's a, at the very bottom is a calendar that talks about every, all of our programs that are happening. And again, that drop-in center is open to 12 to 20 year olds to come in between, you know, I think it's 3.30 to 6.30. Um, and there's no, I think what's important is that there is no cost for any of our services. Okay. To our youth, they're all no cost. Um, for our trainings, that's a little different because that's, that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, going there to that website, you can see ways. We have a Discord server as well, so youth can see how to sign up for our Discord server. And then under our education outreach, it lists like how to request a training, what type of training you're looking for. And then towards the bottom, it has it shows access to um, our online self-paced training that helps demystify that acronym, mm-hmm. um, which our director of education outreach, Amanda, uh, put together, and it's really phenomenal. Um, but yeah, all of our services and then also for our, our community-based wellness department, anybody who's looking for housing, case management, or therapy would fill out, there's a form, referral form, and then mm-hmm. our service coordinator will contact them. And, and, you know, again, this is what I love about, you know, this work with our therapy is like all of those sessions are at no cost to our young people. They don't oh, have to worry wow. about insurance or, or any kind of billing. Um, and that's really important when we talk about disrupting that's also decreasing those barriers and increasing exactly uh, you just answered i was just going to ask that question about how do folks uh, access those services mm-hmm. and was there a cost to them so that's good information for folks to know i wanted to s- switch a little bit oh this is some really good information that you're sharing uh young people social media music yeah anything that they're connecting to we know how it's impacting our young people in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is, and I, we, can, we both know this, it's, it can be harmful when you're yeah. accessing too much of it. So for the young people that you're interacting with, how do you see their access to social media or how is the social media impacting them, yeah. especially when it comes to their identity or their their race or however they're presenting themselves um, to your, your staff? 
how does the social media piece and music and other things from the outside world coming in, how are they processing those and how are you helping them in that in that space? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think, as you said, there, there can definitely be a negative or unfavorable impact from social media in the outside world. Um, what we are seeing, though, is online communities really for our young people have been um, a saving, a space of saving for them okay. um, because they can, one, they have access to information, which take it or leave it, it's good or bad, but they yeah. also can build community that way. And for our young folks, a lot of them, a lot of emergency, emerging mental health symptoms, I'm sure you, your people are seeing in the schools and like our youth with their anxiety and depression and things of that nature, being behind you know, a phone or, or camera actually feels safer for them. And so mm-hmm. they access social media to build community, um, to find resources. Um, and, and so I, I would almost say it's a positive thing in that regard. Um, and there's, there's research out there around like queer youth and, and online communities too. And, and so we've seen the numbers, but like that's actually what is happening. Um, I would say even like TV shows, I don't, TV is a whole different experience these days, but mm-hmm. you know, there are shows on like Netflix and Hulu that are very much inclusive and affirming. Um, and our young people love to watch those shows because, and I was just having this conversation recently with someone like the world that we talk about wanting to create, it's actually happening. So mm-hmm. when we watch some of these shows, um, nothing is coming to mind right now, but um, <laughs> they are like, they're super inclusive and don't make someone's sexual orientation a big deal. There's just who yeah. they are. They've got issues at home or they are got a job, but it's like, it's that representation that is um, more present and available for our youth that is really affirming to them. Um, so I think social media and music and just pop culture in general it, it's very reflective for our young people overall and seeing themselves and the diversity of what's possible um, and then finding community. Now for, um, you said you're the young people that come in, the ages are again, you, you mentioned that the age span. Sure, our, so our age range totally, it completely is 12 to 24. 24, okay. And then we actually do monthly groups for um, under 12, but ages eight to 12, so kind of like that older elementary school or younger middle school age. We do that once a month. Um, and so our drop-in center is 12 to 20. Um, we do do some programming for 18 to 24 year olds as well, like a young adult night. And then of course our uh, behavioral health programs and housing and our, our therapy programs, behavioral health are 12 to 24 as well. Mm-hmm. But then case management is 16 to 24 and housing is 18 to 24. So that eight to twelve group, I was I was uh, interested when you said that. I didn't know you worked a little bit with that age group. Mm-hmm. For those who may say that, uh, and I've I've heard this before. You probably heard it or I've read it mm-hmm. that uh, young people with that age they don't understand what identity their gender identity is, and they, they're not in a space to even explore that. They're too young to understand that. What 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 do you say to folks that are expressing that sentiment? They absolutely understand and know, even if they don't have the, the academic language for it. Mm-hmm. I used to actually facilitate a support group for about five years for ages, youth ages five to 12, um, and who were transgender or non-binary or even exploring their gender identity. Mm-hmm. And um, that's back to that, I said that space of knowing where they get to come in and their butterfly wings or whatever it is they're doing. And their friends are like, that's cool. And you're like, wanna play? Yeah, let's go play. Like. 
that's the experience and the things that we talked about and that are talked about still with that eight to 12 year old is like how to be a good friend, um, you know, learning new games. Um, sometimes the youth will talk about like privacy versus being, having a secret, being honest, you know, and like, so again, most things that, um, that demographic, that age group, that's important to development that still exists. Okay. Um, but, you know, what we know from child development is our gender identity is like, we're, it's within us between the ages of three to five. Okay. And so I don't know how many people have ever experienced this, but you know, you're in the grocery store, a little kid walks up. I'm a girl. Are you a girl or a boy? Like they're usually between three to five years old. We just don't think about it unless there's a variant mm. or something different, but like, and then you don't always have the language, but they've got the behavior it's, you know, it's persistent. It is um, something they'll see in the clothing they might choose or the toys or who they want to play with. And so back to this, not being an adult is like, we can trust our young people. Um, and that doesn't mean, a, a, you know, an eight-year-old, you know, maybe who was born assigned female at birth says, I want to be a boy. The question is, or the answer is that, no, you can't be. It's what does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. right because for mm-hmm. them it might just mean they want to have short hair kids let them get their hair cut mm-hmm. right um we're not talking about sex we're not talking about genitals we're not doing anything that's not age appropriate um and most kids in that age aren't wanting that information anyway right um, but then right. i also like to say to to parents and caregivers or anybody who's like well they're just going through a phase and i i say well can we love them through that phase we love our kids through so many phases, so many. Why can't we love them through this and when they're trying to explore who they are in this world and how they want to show up? Oh, that's cool. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. That's uh, interesting how you're able to navigate that space with the younger the younger folks. Yeah. Um, we have about 15, 10, 15 minutes left, but right. I do want to go back really quickly to the advocacy piece that you talked about and how you... Um, advocate for policies and, you know, things that are, um, that are you deem harmful or sure. like you said, or, or, or you would use the word horrible. Um, in terms of your, you said you, I think you mentioned, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you have a, um, a youth advocacy community or committee or group that helps with testimonies and things of that nature. Could you talk a little bit about how you're getting these young folks involved in these mm-hmm. policies at the state level or what's going on nationally. Um, how are you preparing them to share their testimony and share their stories and getting them to understand that, yeah, we're seeing this on a level here. Here's what's happening low, uh, at the state level, count, you know, national level, and how it impacts you in, in your uh, identity and, and what you want to do in life. Yeah. Um... So yeah, we have a community advisory board, um, which like yes. I said, next year we're gonna um, really be intentional at being statewide. And mm-hmm. that group really is to help inform and inspire and lead the direction of the organization. And so mm-hmm. um, an example of how we've used that or utilized that process in the past, um, just 19, I think it was in 2020, issue two around this, I think it was a civilian review board was out there. And you know, we're nonprofit, so we can't do electoral politics, um, mm-hmm. but like our staff, and our board unanimously voted to support that. We had to go to our community advisory board to also say, do you all want us to endorse this? And you know, when you wanna talk about doing the actual work, I had to be prepared for them to say no, and then not do it. Even though we all were like, yes, let's support this. 
Um, and they they all agreed and they wanted to support it. But that's an example of how we do we you know partner with our community advisory board to lead and inform us. Um, in terms of like the the testimony and the the stories, you know, we just ask them during our drop-in center. Um, Fridays are typically our largely um, our most uh, attended program night, upwards of thirty-five youth sometimes. And so our team will just say, "What are your What are your thoughts about this?" And um, or do you want to write it down? Or can we help you write it down? And so there's a lot of modeling for that and support. Um, we also are collecting stories for another project we're working on. And so we'll do the one-to-one -one asking questions and letting them just say how they feel about it, um, just directly going to the source. That's one thing that I often see missing um, amongst organizations that I, I believe have great intent mm -hmm. as adults, but they don't bring in the youth voice. Like, what is it they really want and how does this impact exactly. them? Which means we have to slow down a little bit, right? It means when we're at tables or if we're creating a, a task force, there should be young people that are members of that. And so that's something that we also do. One, we want their voices. We want to amplify them. But two, this is how we train up the next generation, if you will. This yeah. is how we connect them to leadership. And it's almost, I don't, I don't like the word pipeline for multiple reasons, but it's almost begins to create that leadership pipeline because they get exposed to people who are in power and how things work and the processes of it. Um, we also have our summer Institute um, every year for six weeks. where we talk about some of those like movement ecology and like what, it, and our youth like want to go there. They talk about things like imperialism and what all of that means. And so we, we have those six weeks where they get to talk about how all of this works together to inform yeah. the, the work. So we do it for multiple ways. Um, most importantly, and making sure that we're always, as much as possible, amplifying their voices, centering their voices, and making sure they get to be a part of those conversations. I, I, we need to shout that from the rooftops and <laughs> all of the youth in what yes. we're trying to achieve. Their voice means more than ours, right? Because they're yeah. they are the young people. So that that's a great point. I appreciate that. Um, one last thing I want to ask you is. The opportunity to participate or volunteer. How yes. do folks get involved? Love this question. Um, there's multiple ways that you can support KYC and our young people. Um, we do have volunteer opportunities again on our website, um, mm -hmm. kycohio.org. Uh, we've got people who, if you want to volunteer and have direct contact with young folks, we use center volunteers. And so that's somebody being there during drop in center hours and being that positive, safe adult that mentorship, which we know across all kinds of studies that having a positive adult in your life is often the key to resiliency for our young folks. Um, people can um, also volunteer for special events. Um, we have other prom and I think it's in May typically, which is prom for our youth. Um, okay. And again, pre-COVID we had, oh my goodness, one year, over 400 youth who attended and they represented about 70 schools from across the state. Wow. Yeah, wow. this past year we had to cap our to 275 just because of COVID still. Yeah. Um, but there's people can volunteer for special events. Um, we also do volunteer days of service, which is really popular amongst organizations or you know for-profit um, places where groups of people come in and they they work on special projects. So they could be administrative projects, they could be assembling resource bags and kits, like just whatever the need is. And it doesn't have to be an organization. We've had somebody do it with, for their birthday with their friend. So those mm -hmm. volunteer days of service are really important. Um, but then, you know, the other way is, is always finding a way to contribute. And so we have our KYC Unity Circle, 
um, which it actually breaks down like which dollar amount, what it provides, like what $5 monthly, how that supports a young person, you know, for transportation. Mm -hmm. We do provide bus passes for them. Oh, okay. from. Yeah, so yeah. really try to remove any barrier possible to getting support. Um, and then, you know, what I, I really love to tell people is definitely, you know, pursue education and training, invite us into your, your world to support that. But I think one of the best ways to contribute and to support our youth is to love on young people in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, take a step back, expand, give them room to figure it out. Um, and affirming someone's humanity, you're not affirming anything bad. You're just affirming, hey, I see you and you're worthy of this love. You're worthy of this dignity. You are worthy of this belonging. Like that's something we can do every single day, right? Like it's our collective charge, I believe, to right. not about saving our young people. Like they're, they're good. They just need that support so they can continue to grow and flourish and, and to be a soft landing in whatever way makes most sense is one of the best ways to contribute and to support our youth and to invest in their worlds. You know, I was going to ask you what would, would be one last takeaway to, yeah. to share with the listener, but that sounded like it right there. That's it, that right like, there. That, that was the cap on everything. <laughs> so um, thank you for sharing uh, everything you shared today around uh, advocacy and policy and therapy and counseling and giving me more information and knowledge about how young people are presenting themselves to your organization and the services they're getting. I, I knew you, you all did a lot, but I now I've got a much more... Um, intensive understanding of how you're serving people. And of course, you're gonna be coming in this year to working with our core members to kind of share the exact same things you're sharing today. And I'd also thank you for sharing for the opportunities uh, for volunteering and participating. I'm sure folks can donate as well if they yeah. want to um, uh, donate um, resources or things like that, they can go to your website. Uh, so this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Um, is there is there one more thing you want to share just kind of to cap what KYC is all about? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, going back to legislation and because we're in election year, always it seems like is mm -hmm. don't don't allow folks to, to create division by putting us in silos and saying something is a gay thing or a mm -hmm. black thing or a woman thing. Like, we are all interconnected, right, Ubuntu? And so like this, it expands across spectrums and taking away body autonomy for, autonomy for one group impacts all groups. And so I just, the invitation is for people to think a little more broadly and don't let it, don't, let's not get hooked on the, that's not a problem. Um, black folks are part of the LGBTQ community. People of color are part of the LGBTQ community. And, um, so that's the, that, that would be the invitation is, you know, as we see these bills and legislation and people having these conversations to be curious and to find, find yourself in that, even if it's around experiences of belonging and how we all need that, that mm -hmm. should be enough to, to lift up our interdependence upon each other. Okay. Now that's, that's how we're going to end it. That's going to cap it off right there. And I love, love that. It. Thank you. So that was uh, excellent. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that and how people can think about this work and get involved. Um, and like I said, Ubuntu, humanity, it's, it all comes comes back to that. So uh, once again, we want to thank Aaron Upchurch, the executive director for Kaleidoscope Youth Center, uh, to um, uh, thank you for 
connecting with us and uh, learning more about your organization, yourself, your background, your services. We really appreciate that. Now, this episode will be, uh, once it's posted, you'll be able to see it on Spotify, Facebook, and we'll also make sure to tag KYC uh, so they can also, uh, all of your supporters can see it. Um, and all the other social media outlets, we'll make sure that it's available for everyone here in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. We'll, we'll make sure that happens in our newsletters. So feel free to take this and use it for your own uh, constituents and supporters. So thank you so much for your time today, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. See you, everybody. Take care.